The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. But it is Easter, right? And we want to celebrate Jesus maybe in a fresh and different way. And one of the things that we've done, if any of you have been to the men's retreat, that's been very powerful and very effective, is we do a kind of a guided meditation on Saturday mornings. It's become just a real tradition with the men's retreat. And some of you have been, uh, have experienced that. It really is very powerful. Uh, And Rupert has just an incredible gift of writing these. I don't know if I have his same gift, but I'm going to try this morning to do a guided meditation and the idea of this is, is uh, instead of me preaching at you or teaching you, it's really an opportunity for you to enter into the story of Scripture and to really put yourself in the midst of the story and try to experience it in a way that's maybe a bit more real, a bit more tangible. And uh, just in that quiet space for God to, to speak and minister to you. Um, so to do that... Uh, you know, just I'm just warning. I'm giving you a warning. Okay, it'll be different. And in just a minute, I'll begin the story. And uh, it works best, really, if you can close your eyes and really try to just mentally picture the things that we're describing, and to uh, to really put yourself as one of the characters in the story. Uh, before we do that, we, we also will be celebrating the Lord's Supper today, and uh, for for a number of reasons that will become apparent to you as we move along, we're going to actually break bread now. And we're going to pass out to you the bread. And uh, as we do the guided meditation, uh, I'm going to invite you to hold the bread. Now, now Mike warned me. So some people are not going to just want to hold it the whole time, you know. Which is, you have an option. Here's your options. You can either hold the bread, but if you can't do that, if you're the kind of person who drops things off and you don't want to drop it on the floor, you might also want to just take your Bible open and uh, just lay it in your in your in your Bible. And yeah, just don't forget to close your Bible. Right. Uh, but uh, you'll see as we go through the story why uh, we want to do this and uh, just to have the bread with you, uh, this picture of Jesus' body broken. Right. And uh, so I'm going to invite the guys to come and they will uh, pass out the, br- the bread. And as they do that, I'm going to read from John chapter 20, uh, the story of the resurrection to prepare our hearts and minds. So if you'll listen as I read. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and and, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures, 
that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, want to really just pause for a moment this morning and uh, think about the resurrection. Uh, Lord, we want to honor you. Uh, We want to praise you, the, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, our precious Jesus who died horrible death, nailed to the cross in order that we might have life. But we praise you that it did not end there, that you rose victorious over the grave and you triumphed over sin and death and you live and reign on high. And so, Lord, we come this morning to celebrate that, to, uh, to affirm it in our own heart, uh, to, to bolster our faith in this incredible truth that is our hope And Lord, we want to hope with even greater hope in all that the resurrection means to us. So Lord, we just pray that you would meet us this morning. Uh, Lord, we want to see see Jesus. We want to see his face, uh, our living Lord. And we ask that you would help us do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you get comfortable in your chair... And uh, take a few deep breaths. Thank you. And uh, if you can, picture yourself in uh, Israel near Jerusalem uh, on a rather dusty road um, back in Jesus' day uh, on the very day of the resurrection. Uh, you're walking down this dusty road and the late afternoon sun is moving toward the horizon. You feel uh, a cool breeze blowing on your face, uh, the fresh breeze of spring, cool and full of hope. Uh, Behind you lies the city of Jerusalem with all its noise and bustle uh, slowly fading behind you into the distance. The stillness and quiet of the country road gives you space to think and reflect as you walk home. 
The only sound you hear is the whisper of the breeze and the gently falling footsteps of you and your companion, Cleopas, who is walking beside you. You are a Jew, an Israelite of the tribe of Judah, descendant of Father Abraham. For 2,000 years, your ancestors have traveled down this very road. Being a child of Abraham defines almost everything about you. It governs everything in your life, where you live, how you worship, what you eat, and who you eat with. Think for a moment about your heritage. This very land was given to you by your ancestors, by Jehovah God himself. After 400 years in slavery in Egypt, God led the entire nation out of slavery by the hand of Moses. Jehovah God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave to him all the laws and commands that you live by. Moses was a great deliverer who brought Israel to the promised land. Remember God's mighty deeds, how he spared Israel from the plague of death he sent upon the Egyptians through the blood of the Passover lamb. Reflect on your glorious kings, David, Solomon, the glory days of Israel, when all the nations of the world stood in awe of this great nation. Imagine the splendor of Solomon's temple. Oh, what would it have been to, to celebrate the Passover in those days, at that temple, days of triumph and glory. But... It is different now. Israel is not what it was then. After hundreds of years of decline and defeat and captivity and rebuilding, now Israel is no longer an independent nation. You are a Jew, but you are under Roman rule. No king sits on the throne in Jerusalem. The Jews are not free to govern themselves. Next to the temple in Jerusalem stands the fortress of Antonia, a Roman garrison filled with Roman soldiers. Romans who have through the years done the most horrible and vile things, defiling all that you hold dear and sacred, even desecrating the holy temple of God. Oh, to have such filthy heathens crawling all over your sacred city, you burn with righteous indignation at the very thought of it. You cry out, God, when will Messiah come? When will your salvation come to Israel? When will you fulfill your promise to restore Israel? Where is the Redeemer of Israel now? The voice of Cleopas breaks your silence. I was so certain that Jesus was the Messiah, he laments. You also had been fully convinced that Jesus was the one. For three years you had watched him perform the most amazing signs and wonders. Indeed, not even Moses or Elijah had done the things Jesus had done. And his teaching. He spoke with such authority and power. Every word rang with truth. 
and life. Even as you talk together, you picture Jesus' warm and welcoming smile. You see him laying his hands on the eyes of the blind man. You will never forget the look of shock and bewilderment on the man's face as he looks around and sees the whole world around him for the first time. But what could it mean if, if they've killed him? Cleopas puzzles. Uh, what if Jesus was the Messiah sent from God, but our leaders have rejected him? W- will God send another? Don't be ridiculous, you reply. They cannot kill the one sent from God. If Jesus truly was the Messiah, they would have recognized him. Jesus could not have been the Messiah. How can Messiah die before he fulfills his mission? God would not allow it. You see that Cleopas is not convinced. You have been having this debate for three days now. And what about the empty tomb? Cleopas smugly replies. What of it? You respond, what does it matter? Jesus is gone. It matters little that his body has been stolen. But what about the report of the women? That one of them saw Jesus and he is alive. Right. How can that be, Cleopas? Certainly Jesus had the power to raise the dead, but they've crucified him. Who is there now to raise him from the dead? No. They have taken the life of the only one who can bring back the dead. It's over. As much as you wish Cleopas was right, in the very depths of your soul, you know it cannot be. And the thought of it brings waves of grief and despair upon you. You had placed all of your hopes on this Jesus. You had believed in him. In fact, you would have given your life for him. For the first time in, their, in your life, there had been great hope. But when Jesus died, hope died along with him. You feel as though someone has just punched you in the gut as the agonizing reality of Jesus' death hits you full force again. Death is such a cruel enemy, even more horrible than the Romans. You can live with the Romans, but how do you live with the pain and loss of death? Grief is like a deep well. When the loss of one person casts you down into that well, it is joined and mixed with the bitter pain of everyone you have ever lost. You are overwhelmed by the vast hopelessness of death. Suddenly, you are joined by another traveler. You had been so caught up in your conversation, you did not even notice you were not alone on the road. The traveler walks up beside you. He is a man in his early 30s, probably a pilgrim who has come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, as you, and is now returning home. I could not help but notice that you are both very intent in your discussion, he observes. His cheery disposition and even joyful mood is a stark contrast to the grave and solemn atmosphere hanging around you. You stop dead in your tracks. Shocked and amazed that he apparently has no idea at all about the events of the past three days. His joy and indifference only serves to exaggerate 
the sadness of your own soul. Cleopas replies, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things, the stranger replies, clearly oblivious to Jesus' death. You answer, The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But uh, our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be, well, to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to redeem Israel. This, this all happened three days ago. Cleopas stepped in and continued. Then this morning, some women from our group who were also his followers went to his tomb. And they came back with an amazing report. They, they said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. But some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. The stranger looks at both of you, and his face grows quite serious, even stern. He speaks directly to you. You foolish people! Why do you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then, beginning with the Torah and going through all the writings of the prophets, he quotes verse after verse, explaining that it was indeed predicted by the prophets of old that Jesus, the Messiah, must suffer and die, and that he would indeed be raised from the dead. You are absolutely captivated by his words. You strain with all your mental capacity to put this all together. How could Messiah die? How, how could he be the redeemer of Israel and be the victim of such a cruel plot against him. As a stranger speaks, one thing becomes very clear. In every way, Jesus did indeed complete and fulfill all that was written in the law and the prophets. But what about the resurrection? Could it be true? Could Jesus have indeed been raised to life by by the very power of God? Could it be that he has overcome the power of death? A shiver runs down your spine as you dare to hope in the possibility that it could be true. The stranger's words have carried you through the scriptures and have also brought you to the gate of your own village. The sun is now setting. It's beginning to grow dark. You turn off the main road toward home, and the stranger continues on his way. You have been so captured by his words, and you long for the hope that is being kindled, you long for the hope that is being kindled to be fanned into flame. You do not want to part from this gentle, but so very wise and patient teacher. Please come to our home for the night, you urge. It's almost dark, and it's far, it's far to the next village. Please stay with us for the night. 
The stranger is easily persuaded. You and Cleopas quickly prepare a simple meal. The journey has made you very hungry. You set the bread on the rough wooden table. You light the oil lamps, with, uh, which now sheds its amber light throughout the room. Cleopas pours the wine, and you sit down together to break bread. You sit down across the table from the stranger. He looks at you, and it is as if his gaze penetrates to the very depth of your soul. His face is lit by the light of the lamp, a face filled with hope, uh, the wisdom of the ages, and with compassion. Even though you have just met, it is as if you have been dearest friends forever. There is something about a table and bread that brings people together. It is comforting to be at table with this friend. On the road he was a rabbi and you grasped his teachings. But now he is a friend and you encounter the person. He reaches down and picks up the bread. And lifting it up, he gives thanks to God. Then he breaks the bread and he hands you a piece. As you take the bread from his hand, for the first time you notice the fresh wounds on his hands. A huge and terrible wound. Nail marks. Your eyes immediately glance again to his face. And for the first time, you really see. You take in his face and you know him. It is Jesus. And he is alive. In that very moment, you see him and begin to call out his name with shouts of joy. And he's gone. Vanished. Only the faint image of his presence burned on your mind remains. The only tangible reminder that he was with you is the piece of bread that you hold in your hands. Never again will you eat bread without remembering this very moment when you met Jesus, the resurrected living Jesus, face to face. As you hold this bread in your hands now, It is a symbol. It is a reminder. It is the very presence of Jesus. And just as surely as he met with those men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus meets you now. And I'm going to ask uh, the elders to come again and uh, the worship band to come. And uh, we're going to take communion. We will break bread together again with Jesus. And uh, as the men pass, there will be bowls of grape juice.
And we invite you to take your bread and dip it in the juice and partake of the body and blood of Christ, remembering the risen, resurrected, living Jesus. And as you take your bread, uh, take the bowl and serve the person next to you. Uh, and we will share communion together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you that you are alive. And not only are you alive, but you are living in us. Scripture promises and you declared uh, in Romans 8 that Jesus himself lives in us. And Lord, we long to see your face, but uh, where we can't see your face, we know your presence is with us. And uh, we take this bread this morning, remembering you, remembering our personal encounter with you when we first had our eyes opened and saw who you really were. So Lord, we take together now, remembering uh, you, our precious Lamb of God, and we worship you in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.